Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay. Local news to keep you rooted. When it comes to basketball in the Bay, and I'm talking pro and college basketball, there is no team that has done more winning than Stanford's women's basketball team. And the Stanford Cardinal will have a chance to defend their national championship. They are on to the final four. The Stanford Cardinal is playing in the final four for the 15th time. If they win today and on Sunday, they'll win back-to-back national championships. And no other basketball team in the Bay Area has seen this much success for so long. Today, the sustained excellence of Stanford's women's basketball team. Can you actually tell me where you are right now and just what the energy is like? Yeah, I'm at the Target Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is where the Final Four is being held, trying to find a quiet spot outside of a very full media room. This is just a a really significant media event. And in a way that I wouldn't have said probably would be the same about 10 years ago. So my name is Michelle Smith, and I've been a national women's basketball writer for more than 25 years. I started working at the Hayward Daily Review when those papers existed over there and long time at the San Francisco Examiner and Chronicle. I've done stories in the New York Times, Washington Post, just sort of had a long career. But women's basketball has been my main heart work, I would say. I was looking at the notes that you sent us before this interview and you described them as a program that's seen sustained excellence. Can you actually tell me about that? How long has Stanford women's basketball team been great? Tara Vanderveer, their Hall of Fame coach, got there in 1986. She won her first championship with Stanford in 1990. She won another one two years later in 1992. They won another championship last year. They've been to 15 Final Fours. They've continued to dominate their conference, the Pac-12 gotten to the final four, played in the national championship game a couple of times, but come up short. But to have that sort of sustained excellence, is certainly a testament to Tara. It's a testament to the investment that the university places in women's basketball. And what Tara's done, she's the winningest coach in the history of women's basketball. And in a couple of years, provided she wants to stick around and do this, she may become the winningest coach in college basketball history. I mean, the Bay Area is not generally known as a big college basketball hotbed. There have been really good teams in the past. Both Stanford and Cal have had really good teams. Obviously, St. Mary's College, they have been recently from the men's program. But it's unmatched. And the through line, Michelle, through all of this, in, in, in all of this success is, as you have mentioned, their coach, Tara Vanderveer. What can you tell me about her and, and her background? 
So Tara's a New York native. She went to the University of Indiana and played some basketball there and used to um, go and sit in the gym when their coach Bobby Knight used to coach and take notes. And she just really seemed even at that age to have a mind for the game. She will tell you, and I've heard this story many times from her, that she intended to go to law school. Her um, father asked if she would coach her sister's basketball team. And she will tell you her sister's team was terrible. And, and they needed a lot of work. But I think that that's kind of where the bug bit her. And since she's been at Stanford, I mean, Tara's a pioneer in many ways. She has built a legacy of women leaders. She's been a relentless advocate for women and women's basketball. Let me just be really clear. Um, the men's basketball tournament is a great tournament. But uh, women's basketball and other sports can be revenue sources also. So much of you know, the content we see on television is dictated by not just viewerships, but companies willing to sponsor women's sports. And we really need uh, corporate sponsorship to step up and value women's sports in the same way that, that they value men's sports. We were just chatting with her about Title IX and the anniversary of Title IX and how strongly she believes that women's basketball needs to be treated on an equal footing. She's one of the loudest and most important voices in women's basketball because of her longevity and her history of success. And there are a lot of people who will just tell you that Tara does things the right way. And I think what they mean by that is that she operates with a lot of integrity. I don't know anybody who doesn't have absolute respect for Tara. I want to talk about her more as a as a coach. I've seen her refer to her teams as an orchestra. What does that mean? That is one of the many Tara-isms, as we've called them <laughs> through the years. I've heard her to refer to her teams as puzzles. I've heard her refer to her team quite a few times as a cake that's not baked yet when they're not quite ready for <laughs> prime time. She also refers to them as orchestra, and I and I think what she means by that is they she has the opportunity to recruit a team that is the sum of its parts, that there are many different instruments playing to the success or to the grand picture of what she's trying to put together. And so she very much is the conductor, obviously. I don't think that this is a star-driven program that she runs. I think that she runs a true team, the way they play, the way they play through one another, on the floor, the passing, the moving the ball around. It's not all about one person, and it never has been. I want to talk about the team this year, the one that has another chance to win another title. How would you describe the team this year? Long, tall, and athletic. Those are the physical attributes. But what I would say about this year's team, I think what characterizes them is their experience. So last year during the COVID season, they had a very unusual pathway to the national championship in that when Santa Clara County closed, they weren't able to practice in their gym. They were on the road for nine weeks, all to sort of keep the season moving forward. And they came to San Antonio at the end of the year for the NCAA tournament, which had gone to a bubble format where the players weren't going to be allowed to move around. And they were really holed up together for a long time. And I think ultimately that sort of built a toughness about them. It also built a bond, I think, within this team that is really strong. And I think it's still carrying them forward into this season. They're not rattled easily by things that happen. And there's not a lot of that, you know, falling apart or making mistakes because they're feeling the pressure. They don't operate like that. It's a very um, calm and collected group. 
And who are the best players this year? What are their kind of standout qualities? They've got a couple of players that are all Americans this year. So Haley Jones is a junior. Speeding Jones got the whistle and finished. There's no answer defensively so far in this game for Haley Jones. Haley is a kind of a do everything guard for them. She's their facilitator and I think also their tone setter. Jones putting it on the deck, leaning and hitting the steadying presence of Haley Jones. So I think Haley's very calm and cool and collected. And I think that's kind of permeates through the rest of the team when they're on the floor in a jam and in a tough situation. Their other All-American player is Cameron Brink. And Brink is a sophomore. She's six foot five. Brink spinning inside. Boy, is that a big step or what? Long, long wingspan. Moves really well. A lot of toughness. Warren on the drive. That's the fifth block of the second half for Cameron Brink with a little tendency to get into some foul trouble. So, you know, <laughs> keeping her on the floor and out of foul trouble is always paramount because when she's on the floor, Scamper in most cases can do what it wants. And break the end one! Well, you are seeing the competitive juices of Cameron Brink come out tonight. So tonight, they're playing the University of Connecticut what are Stanford's chances in this game? Really, really good. They are probably at this point the superior team by a small margin. Connecticut's have has a couple of star players who've been injured and are coming off those injuries. But Connecticut's coach, Gino Oriema, who's also incredibly well known nationally and has eleven national championships. They know how to win titles. And so we'll see. I think it's gonna be an epic battle and a lot of people are really excited to see this game. Coming up, Stanford's role in amplifying women's sports and whether the gap between men and women's college basketball is closing. Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. Michelle, I want to zoom out and talk about this team's role in kind of the larger landscape of women's basketball what role do you think the Stanford women's basketball team has played in elevating women's sports over the years? Yeah, I think Stanford is on the list, on the short list of programs that have elevated the game in, from a national profile. Like there's a lot of history of the game here. And one way or the other, Stanford's tied to most of it. Tar Vanderbeer coached in the, on the Olympic team in 1996. That team ultimately led to the creation of the WNBA. Like there's just Tara and Stanford have a lot of tentacles in the history of the women's game and they go everywhere. And a lot of them sort of come together here this weekend. I mean, that said, I know that there's 
still a lot of inequity between women and med sports, despite the success of teams like Stanford. In fact, I actually yesterday just rewatched that viral video of that University of Oregon player, Sedona Prince, uh, which she shared last year that kind of showed how under-resourced women's NCAA facilities are compared with the men's sports facility. Here's our practice court, right? And then here's that weight room. And then here's all this extra space. If you aren't upset about this problem, then you're a part of it. In your view, have things gotten better? Is, is that gap narrowing? You could see the differences this year, but I think what they've done is they've taken some of what I would call the low-hanging fruit and they've taken care of that first. So for example, they extended the March Madness branding to the women's tournament, which they hadn't done before. They improved the experience for the athlete, the weight rooms, the quality of the meals. I mean, it's hard to believe that they ever really weren't the same, but they weren't. And so here we are with the NCA sort of trying to work on these very visible ways in which they want to bring more equity, but they have structural work to do. The one that everybody is pointing to is the television contract. So the men's tournament, it's a billion dollar moneymaker for the NCAA because of their contract with CBS. The women's tournament has been sold in their rights deal to ESPN and packaged with the 28 other championships and other sports. And I think one of the first things that the women's game wants to see is they want to see women's basketball pulled out and sold as a right steal on its own. Because, you know, you can't say, oh, this tournament doesn't make any money if you have held it back from making money. And, you know, it, it's just a picture of how much, when you don't build it structurally to support the women, that they won't thrive. And if you let some of those things go, there's an opportunity for great expansion. But I, I really am feeling an energy around women's basketball and the women's game that I, again, wouldn't have said that I felt a few years ago. I think we're really on an upward trajectory, but the NCAA is gonna have to match that trajectory with some structural changes. Michelle, this one's a, a little bit of a more personal question. Um, you know, women's sports journalists are not as rare as they once were, but you've been doing this since those days when it was rare. I actually read that you were the first regular columnist for women's basketball at ESPN. I'm curious when you think about what you've seen over the years, how are you just feeling about the future of women's sports? I feel really good about it and I feel frustrated. On a national scope, I could probably literally name on one hand the number of people who are able to do this full time. I see a lot of people in that press room who have paid their own way here and are writing for 75, 100 bucks, $150 a story, and they're here because they love it. It's not the same with men's sports. You know, there's a writer for every NBA team and there's two national writers for the WNBA. In the days I used to work in the newspaper, when we wrote about Stanford women, I would get letters saying, why are they on the front page of my sports page? They don't belong there. We would have sports talk radio hosts saying women's basketball is no better than high school boys basketball. I don't understand why they get this attention. But every year when we did reader surveys, the number of people who read and engaged with a women's basketball story would tick up really slowly. Like if you give it to them and if you tell great stories, people will come to that content. 
it's harder with clicks now. Everything is an immediate reaction to how many people clicked on that story or a headline. And you're not giving people a chance to absorb that coverage and develop an interest. That takes time sometimes. And I wish we all had a little more patience for that process. Michelle, my last question for you. Will Stanford win today? I think they're going to win today. If they play South Carolina on Sunday, Stanford and South Carolina have been the best two teams in the country. And I want to see that game. I want to see Tara Vanderveer coach against her former player from the Olympics, Don Staley. I want to see Haley Jones go up against the National Player of the Year, Aaliyah Boston. And whatever happens after that, I think is gravy. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for your time, and I hope you have fun tonight. (laughs) Me too. Deadlines are not fun, but we'll do our best. (laughs) That was Michelle Smith, a freelance women's basketball journalist based in the Bay Area, reporting from Minneapolis, where tonight the Stanford Cardinal will play the Yukon Huskies at 6.30 on ESPN. If Stanford wins tonight, they will advance to their second straight championship game, which will take place on Sunday. TBH, I'm not a huge sports person, but after this story, I'm bandwagoning, y'all. Go Cardinal. This episode of The Bay was produced by producer Maria Esquinka, who cut this episode, and our basketball-loving editor, Alan Matasilio, who scored this episode, added the tape, and pitched this one. Thanks as well to KQED's Natalia Navarro, who did that interview you heard in this piece with Tara Vanderveer. Our podcast senior leadership team includes Jessica Placek, Jen Chien, Kiana Mogadam, Vinny Tong, Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. The Bay is a production of your local public media station, KQED. You can keep in touch with us at The Bay on Twitter at The Bay KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Peace. Is there like a siren sound in the background there? It's carts being wheeled around and things. <laughs> it's okay. That's fun. We can just yeah. let our listeners know. I hope they'll be forgiving. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a working space for him. <laughs> Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair, available wherever you get your podcasts. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis from KQED Podcasts comes on our watch season two, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.